Mine's good. Life good! Got real close. Got hair high, right? Trying to hit two thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, they have! Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham, Scott, alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Hi, Sean. How are you today? I'm doing well, but uh, I do want to apologize to you, Scott. Oh, wow. Uh, There's so many things that this could be for. So 2021 marks the 150th anniversary of the Meteorological Service of Canada, and they are in the midst of a bit of a celebration. There's a, a website where you can read about major meteorological milestones. There's even a get to know our meteorological people section, which is mostly retired folks for some reason. But uh, I neglected to wish you a happy 150th anniversary. So my apologies, Scott, tell the people how you are celebrating the 150th anniversary of the Meteorological Service of Canada. Well, Sean, I celebrate privately. Of course, of course. Of course. Uh, uh, so yeah, it's got, I, I came across that today. I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, that's uh, there's a lot of initiatives going on with MSC right now to promote that. And uh, I, I think meteorologists deserve a lot more credit than we get. Uh, people say you're always wrong. Well, that's not true. So <laughs> uh, when it's nice and sunny and we predicted that, nobody cares. Right. That's and when true. it's raining and we predicted it, nobody cares. Well, they're not they only happy. care when you like, get people aren't happy when it's raining usually. No, but at least they know and can plan. Right. Anyway, uh, yeah, <laughs> that that's enough of that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so uh, just uh, wanted to point that one out, Scott, because not too too much to talk about off of the gold medal game last night at the Canadian Mixed Doubles Curling Championship. Out in the bubble in Calgary, the last purely curling Canada event that would take place in the bubble. The two world championships will be run by the folks at Curling Canada, but this is the last domestic championship that Mm -hmm. we are are having. So, Scott, let's talk about it and let's start right there. We got new mixed doubles champions that will be going off to Scotland to compete in the world championship next month. Brad Gushu, Carrie Anderson, they, they said... It couldn't be done. Well, I don't know who they are other than me. Uh, <laughs> two skips couldn't come together to win this thing. And uh, Scott, they did. They did. Yeah. Not. <clears throat> excuse me. Not uh, not bad, right? Uh, but I don't, I don't know what it says about mixed doubles, Sean, that, that these two skips can come in. Obviously, great shot makers, great players, and just sort of run roughshod over the field. Uh, it, it did seem like Brad hurt himself from sweeping. <laughs> uh, I and yeah, I don't know what what what's your thoughts on this team as as champions? So I th- I think it basically comes down to a couple things here. One is shot making. Obviously, you you have to be excellent shot makers, and I don't think anyone would argue that Brad Gushu and Carrie Anderson are not excellent shot makers. They've each won multiple national championships with their four people teams. And the other thing that I think this really highlighted is 
that execution is way more important in mixed doubles at least than strategy necessarily. I want to talk about strategic decisions in mixed doubles because you don't have the same diversity of of shots. The ends don't have the same differences between them in the way they set up. And so it really just comes down to who's going to make the most shots. And these Mm -hmm. two people are going to do it. And when you look at mixed doubles, I think that's why you can have teams that don't play together a lot come in and be successful. When Courtney and Carruthers came together, I believe that was just for that season back in 17 to get Canada the spot in the 2018 Olympics. Of course, famously, John Morris, Caitlin Laws come together for a one-time only situation. Uh, and that works out. Now we have Gushu and Anerson that come together. Uh, Walker and Myers, when they won, they that was the first time they had played mixed doubles together. So you don't need to build the same level of cohesiveness and continuity that you need in the four-person game where strategy and communication up and down the sheet is a lot more important than in the mixed doubles, perhaps. Yes, yes. But at the same time, um, what I think the Gushu and Anderson combination showed us was that uh, Brad was very good at deferring to what Kerry wanted to throw. Yeah. Uh, he, I, I, so I think their communication was really good. Get, yes. I mean, given they only have a, a little while to, to play together, it's, it's, those are the good principles of communication, right? Uh, the other teams that we saw get to the end of the tournament were also, uh, good at, at communicating. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's so important in uh, in this kind of game. Yeah. All right. Well, well, let's talk about it. The, the, the whole strategy of, of this, because the thing that I noticed over the course of the week is that in the four person game, everyone, wow, the good teams always defer to the skip, especially when it's their turn mm-hmm. to throw. It's what are you seeing? What do you want to throw? And the skip able to call to what they want to throw, whatever that is, especially late in the game. If they're feeling hit, if they're feeling draw, they can try to cater the end to get to a point to throw the shot that they want to throw. Of course, the other team is trying to make it so that they can't throw that shot that they want to throw. But it's all the person calling the game is also the one throwing that last rock. And what we have saw over the course of the week is that oftentimes the individual throwing the three in the middle seemed to be the one calling the game as well. And there wasn't that same deference to the last rock thrower throughout the end to try to build to that one shot that that person had the most confidence in. And the best example that I could think of, uh, think of this off the top of my head was the game between Lisa Weagle, John Epping, when they played Val Sweeting and Mark Kennedy in that last end Mm -hmm. where Val was, concerned about peeling the center guard about basically because she wasn't sure what her last one was going to be and they were short on time which didn't help things but basically mark knowing that he had to go fast and he felt the peel was the right move but in a four-person game if the person throwing last was as uncomfortable as val seemed to be in that moment i think everyone takes a step back and says okay well what do you see what do you want to throw at the end and we didn't see that quite as much this week mm-hmm. for the last rock throwers. 
that, that's a really good example of the, where the lack of communication, lack of positive communication really hurt the team that I, that's also likely due to the fact that they were low on time. Yeah. That doesn't help. <laughs> which, which doesn't help. Right. Which is maybe when you're overthinking things a little bit too much earlier in the game, you can get into a, a point where you're losing time towards the end. Uh, we saw that in another game this week where um, I think it was Caitlin Laws and Connor Laws where they changed the call when Caitlin was in the hack and there was something like 25 seconds left. Hmm. So she didn't have time to go down, you know, see it, visualize it the same way that she would uh, likely in, in the four person game, given, given that the strategy is a little more rote yeah. uh, in, in that uh, format. That said, I, I really like, I, I really like the differences between the two games I just wish that I, not that worse players would win, but, but that <laughs> like, well, specialist, you like want specialists defend, to win. Defend your turf specialists, right? <laughs> like this is your turf. Yeah. Well, okay. To be fair, I, I would say out of the final four teams there. So out of those eight players, I'm going to, so Heineken lot, they're obviously specialists, I think. Uh, at this point in their careers. Yes. I, I know Colton Lott plays with Tanner Horgan, but from all accounts, he, he devotes more of his time to the mixed doubles game. And uh, I believe Sahidic is is the same in that regard. Mm-hmm. That's right. I don't care what John Morris says. Uh, he's a mixed double specialist at this point. Uh, and actually, he might even say that. Uh, I think John yeah. Morris counts as a specialist. Uh, and I think Danielle would count as a specialist too. She seems to play a lot more mixed doubles than anything else. And... Okay, Laura Walker, probably not. Uh, certainly Anderson and Gushu, definitely not. Kirk Myers, he maybe 50-50 on whether he, he he would qualify as a specialist or not. I think if you asked him, he'd rather win the Briar than win yeah, this. Probably. So But you but you did have good performances by people who are specialists. And you know, Peterman and Gallant, I think they could fall into sort of that either or category, obviously more to the four person team, especially with Gallant and the success they've had over the past few years. But I do think the specialist did OK. Yeah, I I guess <laughs> I, it, I mean, most of the specialists are worse curlers. Objectively, not as good shot makers. We'll say not yeah. worse curlers, but yeah. uh, but shot us. makers. And we, I mean, we talked about that in our preview, Sean. That yeah. probably the teams with the better players were going to be the teams that won. Mm-hmm. And of the twelve that advanced from out of pool play, ten of them were uh, non-provincial representatives, right? And uh, of those, that means that they're curlers that mostly play at the high level in four person uh, games as well, except maybe the, the examples you've already mentioned. Yeah. And I think you're, we're going to see over the next couple of years, more people shift towards specialists and, and specializing in mixed doubles, the Catlin Schneiders of the world, for instance, uh, who, who have had success at this event in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, John Morris, and they he like they were pretty clear on this this week that the arrangement with Cooey is to try to get to the Olympics and then we'll see. 
so so he'll be back basically full time. Yeah, mixed doubles after this, this cycle if he wants to continue to play. Uh, so I do think that yeah, the the days of the Tucks and the Desjardins ruling the Canadian mixed a doubles championship, yeah, that's probably over. But again, I think it does reflect that mixed doubles is way more about shot making than the communication or strategy, although those things are important, certainly, but it really does come down to having two really good shot makers who can communicate in a way that is at the very least not damaging to the shot making ability. Yeah. Yeah. And well, another problem with, I I don't want to be complaining all day, Sean, but another uh, problem with having, you know, people come from the four person game, into the mixed doubles for an event like this is that those teams aren't playing mixed doubles on, on a sort of mixed doubles tour. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's not like the teams that are getting beat in this kind of an event, they don't have the chance to play those teams that are beating them on a regular basis and get better. Yeah, that's true. Right. Cause yeah. these, these super teams, quote unquote, they, they just swoop down, play in the ch- national championship win and then the teams who are specialists who play all the time, I mean, if they want to get better at mixed doubles, they likely have to go to Europe. Yes, they would. And and then even that, I don't know if that gives you a, enough of an advantage over, say, two players like Gushu and Einerson. No, but I, I don't know what you can do to be better than them they're again they're two of the best shot makers in the world like yeah but like and put them together they're going to beat you yeah yeah but they're great shot makers because they've had the chance to play a lot against high level competition and if your focus is only on mixed doubles you you don't don't get the chance to play against that high level competition that feels very that, that feels very chicken and egg to me like what makes you good playing against other people or being good. And then you, because you're good, you get to play against other good people. Like, like, I don't know. I mean, you have to have a level of talent of sure, but I, I, I can't imagine anybody would disagree that Brad Gushu is a better curler because he gets to go to the briar every year than if he wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I think, I, I think that argument is not as relevant as it was 25 years ago where you can play on tour, you can get into the slams. Uh, you know, the, the, one, of the, one of the reasons I don't think Curling Canada needs to change the Briar Scotty's format is because for developmental purposes, there are so many other venues now that there weren't in the past. So yeah, when Brad Grushu was coming up, all those trips to the Briar over and over again, for sure, no question. But in today's day and age, I'm not, I'm not as convinced that that's as, as true. I, I do think that the best venues in Canada right now to play are the four person events. So yes, you, you probably do need to play in a four on a four person team to get access to the best ice, to the best competition. But I don't know if that's necessarily uh, sort of a, a product of, of going to the Briar or going to the Scotties or anything like that. Like be good, play, play in, in the events and just continue to develop that way. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm saying is that if you apply those same principles to a mixed doubles team, right? Who only plays mixed doubles, be good, play mixed doubles, play against the best mixed doubles team. Sure. But then you come to the championships and like, Oh, two of the best skips in the world of the four person game are going to come and beat us. And we don't ever have a chance to play against them other than in this event. 
Yeah, so I guess that does sort of lead to a question of what do we want mixed doubles to be in this country? Do we want it to be as it? I think it is right now, the sort of little sibling, younger sibling to the Briar and the Scotties that is almost a backup for teams when they lose the trials at the four person, then, okay, we'll go try the mixed doubles trials. Or do we want it to be its own discipline? Because I mean, mixed doubles internationally, one of the reasons why the World Curling Federation is pushing it is that it, it, it's easier to grow the game in mixed doubles around the world than with the four person game. And in Canada, does that same principle apply? Is mixed doubles going to be that venue? Because for as much as some people don't like to admit it, we do need to grow the game domestically as well in terms of participation at the grassroots level. And is a defined, clear mixed doubles specialization with a clear path to provincial, national, potentially international championships that is only accessible through mixed doubles, is that going to be the path forward for Curling Canada? And then we'll have a clear divide between you got to pick your lane. Are you four person or are you mixed doubles? And that's sort of where the discussion is going to go, I think, in the next cycle, especially if Canada doesn't do well in the Olympics. Yeah, and I think that, um, like, for me, right now, mixed doubles is plan B if we don't make the Olympics. It's straight out for, for elite level curlers, right? Oh, yeah. Do you disagree? No, 100%. Yeah, it's, oh, well, I didn't make the Olympics with my four-person team. I'm, I'm going to play mixed doubles and try to do that, which I think is not good for the sport of curling overall in Canada. Um, I think it's much more helpful to grow the sport, to have a second discipline uh, that you can participate in. If, say, you live somewhere where it's hard to get four people together, uh, hard to get four people who are dedicated together. Um, it's it's like a fun, quick game. Uh, I'm sure that the younger people might uh, enjoy it more than, you know, a, a two and a half hour eight end game that you're playing at the curling club because people don't know how to play fast versus <laughs> uh, this is like a quick little hour and a half. Yeah. Um, so I say the younger people, like I'm a million years old, old, man. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I after watching this this week, I feel more strongly that a specialization would not necessarily be better in the short term for mixed doubles, mm-hmm. but I think in the long term, it it would be better. Okay, I I do think that there could be a ripple effect to the grassroots level where. If mixed doubles is seen as a real serious discipline uh, on its own, separate from the four-person game, then it could give more traction at the grassroots level to people to pick it up, uh, as opposed to right now, certainly in in the area where we live, Scott, and so I I obviously can't speak for the whole country, certainly in the Ottawa Valley region, there are spiels, double spiels, sometimes scotch doubles, sometimes mixed double spiels, but they're usually viewed as like one-off, fun events, something different as opposed mm-hmm. to real ways to get people into the facilities to play more. Uh, and and clubs, again, locally for us, don't want to turn over ice to mixed doubles regularly over the course of a, a season. 
And we do know that facilities are struggling across the country. They're going to have to bring people in. I think that is the way to do it. And yeah, potentially if, if there's this almost professionalization of the mixed doubles game at the national and then international level, I guess, well, maybe it's already there at the international level outside of Canada, maybe with some countries, uh, yeah. then, then maybe you have a ripple effect down grassroots. But what we'll see, I, I really do believe that there is a, a lot of hope for the future of grassroots curling in this format. Yeah, and I'm not saying there's no place for elite players in this in this game. Of course not. But it, somebody like John Morris, yeah, he can decide, hey, you know what? Mixed doubles, that's for me. And he's a, a great player, has been a great player in the four-player game for sure. But now he's decided something else is more important, right? And so I we might see in the next quadrennial, who knows, if... Uh, you know, maybe in the women's side, they see, okay, there's like two or three teams. There's Homan, there's Anderson. Uh, do we think any of them is going to lose right. the Olympics? Maybe my best shot is to dedicate my time to mixed doubles. Uh, like maybe Chelsea Carey decides mixed doubles is what I'm going to focus on now. She's she's not old. She's 35 or 36. Uh but I mean, does she have more to prove in the four-person game? Uh, yeah, I think she wants to win a world championship. Well, I mean, wouldn't we all like to win a world <laughs> championship? <laughs> yeah, but you know what the difference between you and Chelsea Carey is in that regard? She has a chance. <laughs> she has a chance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but it it is a, an interesting discussion to think about sort of the ramifications of this moving forward is. And uh, what what this all means over the course of the next cycle. And of course, it is prompted by the fact that Carrie Anderson and Brad Gushu did win this last night. Uh, so, Scott, let's talk about, I think, I think that game last night, there's not really too much to unpack. I got away pretty early from Sahidic and Lott. Uh, the real only mm-hmm. turning point that I could think of in, term of, in terms of decision making, obviously in the third and or, or the fourth and the steal of four, was not great in terms of execution but in terms of strategy the first end there was a chance for four for Sahidic and Lot. they had the hammer and it was a thin double but it was there for four or they had a shot the other side coming on the intern side for a right hand thrower for potentially two so Scott did you like that decision to go for the four early when perhaps you might have had an easier shot to try for two well, I think when they're playing against uh, this level of an opponent that's been so hot the last, uh, you know, four or five games, why not go for it, right? Yeah. <clears throat> it's the first end. You're, even if you give up a steal of one, which ended up happening, you're likely to have more chances in this game. Uh, it's... It, in mixed doubles, it's not as big of a deal to to give up a steal as in the four person game, I'd say, because yep. you're going to get the opportunities. And when those opportunities present themselves against a team this good, uh, you got to take it. And so I don't fault them at all going for that. Yeah, I completely agree. You go for the four. No, like there's no question, right? It's, in this format, yeah. especially against those two players, you can give up before right back. So you have a chance to score a big end especially early in the game with no risk to yourself. 
Like there was no chance of like Anderson and Gushu were already sitting one. There was no chance you were going to give up more than one. So mm-hmm. there's there's no risk to it in that regard. I mean, you miss the shot, the other shot, you're giving up one too. So go for the one that's going to give you the bigger number. And Absolutely. yeah, just unfortunately, I uh, believe it under curled. Uh, she had it too thick, uh, the top one. So uh, an unfortunate miss there. And then, as I said, the, in four, the steal of four, that kind of put the game out of reach. They do get a four and seven, which is kind of crazy to think about that you would see that Carrie Anderson really tough miss in the seventh end uh, on her last one sort of went through the hole. She was trying for a double made contact with both of them, but so thin that neither of them went out of the rings. Uh, I think that was the only miss she had uh, certainly in the playoffs that I saw. Uh, wow. Sean. Anderson. Yeah. I, I turned, I turned the game off. <laughs> so I didn't even see it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Facing three. Uh, so lot had three in the house and it was a double that you would expect Carrie Anderson to make, I don't know, 97 times out of a hundred. And wow. you would expect her to at least remove one of the two stones 99 times out of a hundred. And, uh, yeah, she just got both of them super thin uh, and it was just happened to be in the middle of the house and, uh, neither of them got out of play. So, uh, made the huh. last end a little more interesting. Carrie didn't have to throw her last one in the eighth. Gushu made a double on his last two win. And I assume they used their power play power play. Yeah, they did. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so Heideck and Lott used theirs early in the fifth. Only got a single out of it, unfortunately, for them. But good yeah, use, it was a that. good idea to use it in the fifth. They had to generate mm-hmm. points. Mm-hmm. So elsewhere, Scott, let's talk about the playoff format. We talked about it in the preview. We talked about it when we stacked on Sunday. Now that we've seen it in place, what did you think? Hate it. <laughs> Why? Well... It's, I don't know, this, this, the whole seeding games were like, I didn't watch them because who cares, right? Uh-huh. Uh, I, I didn't like, I, I don't know if I said this when we, when we did our preview because maybe I was just like, oh, I'm interested in trying something new. Um, but you, you go from like single elimination to single elimination to then we're just playing for positioning who cares and then into the into the page like i yeah i really didn't like it um and i thought it it disadvantaged a bit the teams the first four teams that had like the the first buy okay because for them like okay i i just lost one game and now i'm done like and to have gone like, you know, Myers and Walker, they made it into the the seeding thing. But I, I, yeah, I find it really hard to have lost, you know, one game all week and then, whoops, now I'm out. Or you, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it was the case for everyone that you lose one game and and the te- the top four teams only had to play one, whereas the other teams had to play two. So I did think. If you're going to go with this type of format, it does reward the top teams good enough for me. And again, the consideration that I always think about if I'm curling Canada, and and this is something that I think they do think about, is that they want to replicate as much as possible what the World Curling Federation does at international events. And the World Curling Federation has single elimination. So you want to replicate that in some form 
so that your teams are in theory prepared for it. So I don't really have that much of a problem for it. And I thought Jeff Sammons uh, sent us a, a really interesting way to think about it that I hadn't hadn't occurred to me. He said that basically once you get into the the four, it's a double elimination tournament yeah. uh, without the if necessary game at the end. So I, I thought that was a kind of a fun way to think about it. It, it, it. That made a little more sense to me. I didn't like the seeding games for the page. I thought that was kind of silly. Just use the rankings you already have. But uh, yeah. other than, other than that, I, I thought. I was yeah, I'm not crazy about it, but again, given given the the desire that exists to prepare teams for what they're going to see internationally, I think it makes sense. I, I mean, I guess in that context, yes. The the other way I was thinking of doing it, which would be simpler, would be to run just a, a straight up double elimination tournament. Now now it's not as good for TV, right? Because you don't right. have predictable matchups. Yep. But, but I mean, if you want somebody to like not lose any games, then that's that's kind of what you got to do. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess. But but again, it's the TV side of it. The amount of time that takes it takes a lot more time to run that. So, and then how many teams are you letting into that? Eight. No, I'm, I don't mean for the playoffs. Sean. Oh, for I mean, the, whole the whole thing. Event. The whole thing's yeah. a double elimination. Do a do a 32 team, 36 team, whatever. God, then you'll never uh, get Vic there. Well, don't. <laughs> yeah, Vic went home. It's fine. Or maybe you do. Let's say you have 32 teams. You do four uh, double knockout brackets to get to four teams left. And then you do a page with that, or you do another double knockout with those four teams, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you, I guess you could, but again, they're going to just take the lead from the WCF. This is what the WCF does. Yeah, and well, the other thing is, I think having thirty-five teams at this event was pretty ridiculous. It's um, a lot. It's a lot of teams, right? Yep. Uh, so, I don't know what what was that the Worlds twenty-eight one year. Yeah, four pools of seven, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean. Or even 32. Yeah. I think they did 32 one year and then got down to 16 for the playoffs. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds yeah, right. Yeah, four pools of so, eight. So anyway, I, I, I just wonder if it could be better, uh, like a better outcome for some of the top teams that performed all week. Uh, and you had... I also didn't like the tie breaking on last own draw. Um, All right. Yeah. That's, that's the next thing on my rundown. We saw first time in a major event that uh, I can recall a team in in Canada, a team eliminated through last stone draw. I'm sure it's happened at a mixed doubles before, but Mm -hmm. this was the first time that the mixed doubles championship was on its own as sort of the standalone, nothing else in the world of curling, a couple of international events, but Really, this was the only major event going on in the world of curling this week. So for the first time, for a lot of folks, you see teams eliminated on last stone draw. This happens internationally at the World Championships. This could, if not likely to happen next week at the men's. And I I don't know. I I sort of go back and forth on this. Like, Do you need a full tiebreaker game to eliminate teams? 
or do you go with what's been done all week? And there's a skill to the last stone draw. You played six games, so you had 12 shots. Uh, each player throws one before the game. I don't know. Is, is that a better representation of who played better all week than a tiebreaker game? I think you might be able to make a case that, yeah, it is. Sure. Is I guess, you know, in soccer, they solve games with five guys shooting at the net from super close. That is very hard to stop. Um, is that representative of who played the best soccer game? Probably not. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, like there's no skill. Like, I guess there's skill, but there's no thinking in last own draw. No. I, I don't know. Maybe what, what you could do is a format like in golf, right? Where you set the cut line yeah. and you, you say, based on the results of the week, once it comes out, right? You take the top 12 and ties. And then what happens is it's just four teams don't get buys. Like it's just, just go down, down the list, right? And so you just go... Like so maybe three teams get a buy. Maybe two teams get a buy. Okay. What if you get to like 17 teams? Yeah, right. Uh, mm. Then one team gets a buy and you start with a six, round of 16. <laughs> and then you have nine teams. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, I don't I don't actually know what the, the best answer to that is. And... Again, I, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, Curling Canada is going to go with this, right? And, and the, the other thing to remember, too, is that at the Briar and the Scotties, a tiebreaker game can generate revenue. At the mixed doubles, especially this year, it, it can't. So not having a tiebreak kind of makes sense in, the, in that regard and, and that it's not going to generate you any more revenue. And it is all about TV and, and to a certain extent. So... It is unfortunate to lose out on a last stone draw. I do like that going into it, that is what was laid out to the teams. I think it would be much less fair to get to a tie break and say, oh my goodness, we have so many teams. All right, now we're just going to use last stone draw to get rid of you. At least they knew going into it. So I, I agree that tiebreaker games are probably ideal to just say, all right, who's who's moving forward? But in this type of a situation, again, following where the World Curling Federation is going with this, I don't have a major problem with it. And I guess I'd like to hear maybe what the curlers have to say after giving them some truth serum, right? Like right. not under the cameras of curling Canada pointing at them, but you know, off the record, what do they really think of this format? And it, and it's really hard because you're not playing everybody, right? So you have to use some even way to compare. Yep. Uh, so I mean, maybe this should all just be last stone drawn. Forget about forget about the actual <laughs> yeah. games, right? Like, uh, anyway. All right, so, um, Scott. Let's talk about the uh, elimination that got the most attention this week: uh, Joanne Courtney and Darren Molding. I don't know if it counts as an elimination, but uh, they had to withdraw. Darren Molding's back. Didn't 
go out. Spasms was what was officially reported. And Darren himself in some social media posts said that it was back spasms. Says that he's okay now. He was wearing a Rocky Top Open Bonspiel t-shirt when we saw him last night. Shout out to our friends out in Knoxville. And uh, Scott, so it, it seemed like it was preventative so that he would be okay for the men's world. It's kind of suck for Joanne Courtney, but of course she very much understands and, and gets the, the situation and, and why this had to happen. But it, it did get a lot of attention. Scott, do you think that had Darren Moldy not been injured and unable to compete, do you think that they would have had a chance to win this? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I- I think they come out of their pool, right? They're, they're in good uh, shape. Because, I mean, uh, Brittany Tran and uh, Aaron Slichinski got to, it came out at four and two. Uh, Molding already, Molding and Courtney already had three wins. Uh, probably they come out of, of that pool. And are they are they better than? Sahidik and Lot and and Peter Mingaland, I wouldn't say they are. So they would have had a chance for sure, but I mean, who who knows, right? You saw, I mean, I think that the biggest surprise of the playoff round was uh, Lang and Jones getting blown out. <laughs> they got blown out good. I think I was surprised that they it took them till the end of the third end to move. <laughs> yeah, I thought after two they would go. But maybe that's just a little nothing after two. I mean, it's just a little respect for the two of them. Well, respect is is respect, but uh, <laughs> come on, we got a lot of games to choose from. <laughs> yeah, that that was a bit of a, an unfortunate, uh, an unfortunate uh, turn of events for for Lang and Jones in that game. I uh, almost tweeted that uh, it's too bad nobody told him that the game started at uh, at twelve thirty, uh, but uh, I mean, that happens sometimes. We saw that with Brad Gushu in the last game of the round robin of the championship bowl of the Briar. You just don't have it some days, you know. It happens. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, I also want to talk, Scott. You mentioned the provincial reps. The best record for provincial rep was four and two. Three provincial reps did that. You had Brittany Tran, Aaron Slichinski from Alberta. That might get an asterisk because they got a free win on the ledger from the Molding and Courtney default. So they put, went three and two in the games they played. You also had the Newfoundland and Labrador team of Mackenzie Mitchell and Greg Smith. They go four and two. They get into the playoffs. And then Quebec, uh, Felix, Felix Aslan and Lori Saint-Georges, they go four and two. They get bumped on the last stone draw. But the provincial reps collectively did not have a good record. If you take all of them, the provincial and territorial reps didn't have a great record. Uh, generally speaking, they're at the bottom of the table. Best record for any provincial rep at four and two. But Scott, I do think we want to keep, or at least I want to keep, the provincial reps in this. Make sure that it is a national championship. I don't think it's, you know, you maybe you make a case at a Briar or Scotty's. I don't think it's a strong case personally. But people can make a case if they want at the Briar and the Scotty. Something like this. If you're going to have this many teams, let in all the provincial and territorial reps would be my position. Yes. Uh, despite yes. what the records are. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And maybe, I don't know, maybe someday somebody says, hey, instead of playing four person, I'm going to go and enter my provincial playdown in mixed doubles. Yeah. And try to get there. Yeah. You did that. 
I, I did. Yeah. I made the playoffs, but <laughs> playoffs, playoffs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, you got to keep them there for sure. Uh, a couple other things I've, I've noted here, Scott trends over the course of the week. We already talked about communication. The other one that I noted was the shot selection overall. I think mixed doubles does suffer a little bit from being somewhat rote, particularly early in the game and early in ends. The first few shots, you don't really have to think about. Uh, you're doing the same thing all the time because the initial setup is the same all the time. So you don't get a chance to to see ends progress in different ways. But it, it did lead me to this question of, I think that mixed doubles is fantastic to play. It's super fun. It's fast-paced. You look up at, and it feels like you've been out there for five minutes and, oh my God, it's the sixth end. Uh, how mm-hmm. is this happening? Like it, it's super fun, super engaging, and I would probably be okay if one of the nights that I play in a four-person team was shifted to mixed doubles, even if it wasn't necessarily like a mixed doubles. Like uh, if they said, "Hey, men's night, you guys are playing doubles now in this format." Like, great, I'm fine with that. Yeah, but I'm not sold on it as a TV product yet. Because of that, I know it's fast. Uh, I know that they like that the games are shorter, but I'm not sold that it's the greatest TV product. What do you think? I, I think it's really good on TV, and and I think the the order of events might have might have an effect on how people perceive it. Right, so you and I, and all of us, we just came off two weeks of watching four person curling Yep, where we're sort of used to that rhythm. And then we get to this and it's different. And for me, it's refreshingly different because, you know, we're not seeing the, the blank end. Uh, we're not seeing super open ends being played. Everything is to there. And, and when you say it's rote in that, okay, the, the shot is always the draw and the freeze. The, the angles of, at which the rocks are frozen matter a lot. Um, and and it, it's that I find is interesting, right? To see how they build up, what, what each team is thinking about. Okay, if we do this and we leave something here, like we'll have another thing on the other side. It's, so that kind of strategy I find is really interesting. And I liked... How TSN kept the mic on the non-throwing team sometimes this week. Yeah, they did a good job uh, with that. Right. So yeah, great job uh, by by the sound people there, trying to like show us that oh, the team that's not throwing is already thinking the next or two or three shots ahead. Right. So I, I really liked that aspect of uh, of the TV broadcast. Uh, the other thing I like is that. Uh, it's it's showing men and women competing together at a high level. And I think that's important. I think y- you and I both love watching women's curling. Uh, you've said many times you like it, you prefer it more to the briar. Yep. Scott, this is my favorite and, event of the year, for sure. Yeah, and I don't disagree. And part of it might be that it's the first one. So it's, you know, we're not burnt out on curling yet. Um, part of it might be, that the women are uh, better TV characters, for yeah. lack of a better word. Yeah, I think they more are. More likable. 
No, I think uh, I think TV, TV character, and I, not in like a negative connotation of like character, but when you're on TV for a week, even though you're an athlete, to a certain extent, what we see at home is a character of you. It's not you as a, right. f- a full human being because the three hours that you're playing and you're in this competitive sphere, you're not yourself. You're professional athlete you. So mm-hmm. that that's why I like to, to use the word character when describing perceptions of players from TV because it's not them as people. It's it's not even close to them as people. No, no, exactly. So I and I, I just really like that we have a man and a woman competing and they're very equal, right? They're, they're playing the same game against each other with each other. And and I think that's really good for curling. I don't know how to say it other than that, but I think it's, I think it's just really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree on, on that side of it, that it is fun to see different people coming together, right? People who, you know, you get used to the same teams over and over again. So it is nice to see different combinations of folks out there. And it was fun too, when you saw four person teammates play each other, it didn't happen very frequently, but that's kind of a a fun wrinkle to it as well. The thing I would say just about as a, as a TV product is that I know Scott, our mom says that she'll go right to third rocks when they PVR the game and don't watch the early ones. I find the early rocks way more interesting in the four person game than in this. Like this is one that I could jump to like the last four rocks combined. So the last two rocks for each team of an end and feel like I sort of got it. It it just depends on the end. I think in the four person game, there's a lot more ends where I can skip those rocks, especially, hmm. especially in the men's game. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So the other thing, Scott, you mentioned uh, blank ends. I do have the stats on blank ends from this week. Do you want to know what they are? Oh, me too. Okay. Do you know who, who, who led the field in blank ends? I'm looking at the stats. <laughs> Danielle Schmeeman and John Morris. And that was in the game. They, the one, two game, right? Yeah, it was against uh, Walker and Myers. Oh, in the semifinal. Yeah. No. Well, Walker and Myers have one as like the non-hammer team. They have one on their ledger too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When did they play them? Great question. (laughs) But uh, so while you look that up, it's just interesting that, yeah, over the course of the week, we had one blank end in that game. And... I still believe so. So the rule in mixed doubles is that if you blank, you lose the hammer, which some people have suggested could be a solution to the excess blank ends that you occasionally saw at the briar. But I I do think it creates too much of an incentive for open ends from the team without the hammer, which Mm -hmm. I don't think would be great. The reason why it's not as heavily incentivized for the team without the hammer here is because there's already a center guard and the opponent's rock is already behind that center guard. So yeah, it's a exactly. lot harder to, and you can't remove a stone for the first, for your first two. So it, it really makes it difficult to play open when there are six stones in play before you can remove anything. So unless we want to go to a, you can't remove rock situation wherever it is, like what we have in mixed doubles in the four person game, then the incentive right now is too much in the four person game. So uh, I, I think that's a, a, an issue here, but yeah, that's uh, it's kind of interesting just to go through the stats there and see one blank end over the course of a week. Yeah. So 
I, I actually was curious about this because it was in the page seating. Okay. Which happened on Wednesday. And I, I that's the one I didn't watch. Uh, and it was the last end. Oh, interesting. Okay. And the score was six to five. And I did wonder what happened. I haven't, I haven't gone back to watch. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Crazy. Madness. I guess a weird roll wild out, stuff. A rollout and a hit or something. Yeah. Usually it would be an XX, right? But uh, no, that counts as a, if all the stones are thrown. Then, yeah. Okay. Then it counts as a blank. There you go. So, uh, so there you have that. Uh, so just go sort of a fun thing. I didn't watch those uh, page sheeting games either. I felt that was a dry I could take off, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Scott got some traction last night. Uh, the Olympics. Kathy uh, Goche said that she was offended that Canada did not qualify for the Olympics yet. Uh, Brian seemed upset too. And this is something that I thought was just interesting as, as a notion. It didn't come up during the Briar, the Scotties really at all that the world championships are basically Olympic qualification. Certainly came up last night. I I don't know necessarily why they're upset or, or why Kathy was so strong in, in saying that she was offended to not be in, uh, I'd be interested to get more information on, on where that comes from. Yes, Canada did medal a couple of years ago in 2019, and John Morris and Caitlin Laws won in 2018. But the qualification process was set out after the Olympics in 2018. 2019 didn't count towards it. And I don't think you can retroactively say, oh, well, now it counts. Uh, so, no. th- so that was just a point of discussion. I kind of, I don't like it. And I do think that the two year process is the best way to qualify teams for the Olympics. But for this year, this makes the world championship a lot more fun to me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I wondered if there's any other sports where defending Olympic champions get automatic bids in, into the Olympics. Yeah. And I don't know. Right. But I'd be surprised because the teams are different. Like the reps are different usually. Yeah. But like, but it doesn't matter. Like the reps could be different for this qualifying process that are going to go to the Olympics, you know? Yeah. But I think that's no, but that's why you don't have it. Why you don't have repeat champions automatically in. Cause it might not be that the person who won. Yeah, I know it wouldn't be the champion, but it would be the association. Yeah. Or but the, uh, the, but the country. I, yeah. But okay. Here's what I'll say. The American men's Olympic basketball team and the, the women's basketball teams too, which generally are going to win the gold medal all the time almost usually all the time they have to qualify for the olympics they don't yeah. get they don't get automatic entry and if, and if the ioc was going to give and i know it's not ioc who gives olympic qualification it's up to the member associations and the sport governing bodies but i mean the ioc wants the american basketball teams in the olympics they make them money so uh, if they're not sort of if they make the americans go to some basketball event and beat up on the canadians then i, I and somebody can correct us on that. But yeah, I think having to go through qualify, it's, I mean, the Olympic spirit is really just a marketing play at this point, but that's part of it is that everyone has a chance. And yeah. And it's, it. I mean, the same with, with like world cup soccer. Yeah. Every country has to qualify. Yeah. Canada beat Bermuda last night. I saw. Hey, in a world cup if, qualifier. I mean, like it, it's seemed last night, almost like 
they forgot that there was no <laughs> curling last year. Right. Right. Like, cause they kept saying last year, Canada likely would have already qualified for this event. Likely had the season unfolded last year, likely not for sure, but likely. And if they hadn't, it just because they hadn't performed, I wonder if you would say the same thing. I'm offended that Canada doesn't have right ha- have a have a spot. Well, you can't be because the team that went to the Worlds didn't perform well enough to yeah. merit anything. Right. So and anyway, yeah. So I was surprised by that. Not it doesn't it doesn't diminish my eternal love of Kathy Gocha. <laughs> I was just surprised. That's all. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, just surprising. All right, and then the the last thing on my little rundown here, Scott, uh, is Carrie Anderson ever going to see her kids again? <laughs> Like, yeah, two two right? weeks already in the bubble. That uh, she's uh, got to come back. They're playing in the slams, then the women's worlds, then she's got to go to Scotland. There's some logistical questions here too. Uh, she's going to need an exemption from the government in Scotland to be able to go and play in this event. There's not enough time for what they've laid out in the quarantine of landing in Scotland and playing in the event uh, for Carrie Anderson to get to the playoffs of the women's world championship and then also be eligible for the first couple Mm -hmm. days of the mixed doubles world championship. So there's going to have to be some exemption there, presumably being in the bowl will grant her that exception, but it's kind of an interesting logistical thing, but Carrie Anderson, the more she wins, the more she's going to play and a great rep to have. She has been fantastic in the bubble, but uh, certainly she will have a well-earned break by the end of May for all the games that she's going to be playing coming up. Yeah. For everybody that was complaining about not enough curling, uh, she might be the only one left <laughs> complaining about too much. Too much yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's still got a lot of games to play. Uh, good and good for her too. Uh, very exciting. And, and certainly for someone in, in her professional life, uh, certainly it's been a, an exhausting year for everybody uh, in certainly her line of work. So I'm sure for her mm-hmm. going and playing while, yeah, I'm sure physically and mentally exhausting, it's also a nice break from the the toll that the past year has played uh, professionally. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure her employer has mixed feelings, right? About, right. about this, because on the one hand, it, it's, it's great that your employee is achieving so much, but on the other hand, like, hey, can you come back and uh, and, and yeah. get some work? Yeah, and from all it, accounts, she's really good at it. Like, you know, yeah, <laughs> she's not. There. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, but congratulations to Carrie Anderson. Uh, and yes, it's only a joke. I, I know, I know, she's going to see her kids. Uh, of course, uh, probably this week, right? Yeah, I think I think she's going to go home and then come back for the uh, for the slam. So she'll get a, a week out of the bubble. Uh, Sean, well uh, learned. I, I heard Brian Mudrick say the Grand Slams. Yeah, he did. I think I tweeted about it. Yeah, he didn't get the memo. He did it a few times this week. Huh. Yeah. Everyone gets yeah, people anyway. were excited by it. I thought that I thought it was interesting. Hmm. Only Vic doesn't yeah. say it. Hmm. Maybe he's got a personal uh beef. Yeah, I honestly don't really blame him. So uh, let's uh, just say our, our picks real quick, Scott, uh, for the week. You had Peterman and Gallant, who, and I've waited on this, who lost on the shot of the bubble? Like, okay, it, yeah. it's it's all well and good. Greg Smith, 
amazing shot. He's in the 1v1 Hall of Fame and well-deserved. That round-the-clock shot was was great. Kirk Myers, I don't know if he won 1v1, but he was in 1v1 for one of his shots that he made. Uh, and 1v1, for anyone who doesn't know, that's the TSN, the Sports Center. They do the play of the day or the highlight of the night, and it goes into a, a vote, a fan vote for the previous day's highlight of the night or whichever one was voted the day before is the best highlight and after seven days you go into the hall of fame so mm-hmm. greg smith is in that hall of fame now myers was in the vote so he was the highlight of the night one night but the the shot that sahidic made to win the game against peterman and galant it's never going to be in a 1v1 it's never going to be a highlight of the night because the skill and the touch doesn't translate as well to a quick highlight you see a a stone slowly come to a stop but Mm -hmm. that was she had to touch the pinhole and that's all she could do to win like that's the only space that was available and she made it like a millimeter off she they lose the game and she made it that was unbelievable 100 percent for me the shot of the bubble so far yeah i it reminded me sean do you remember that like indoor lawn bowling clip where the guy rolled it and it was like way out there and then for <laughs> somehow it like just came right in and like touched exactly where it needed to go it was it was like that it was so perfect and like Jocelyn Peterman's shot before that was also amazing. Yeah. And yeah, they both made, and, they and both made it as, I mean, Peterman as made it as could. good as you could. Yeah. And then so if she was better. any closer, if she was any closer to the pin, there would have been a double Yeah, because the, the rocks would have been uh, not frozen nose. And Brett said to her, yeah, you, you made it as good as you could. She's got the pin, but that's pretty tough. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, she made it. She made it. Tough, uh, tough way for my pick to go out, Sean. I, I think that's, yeah, it's tough, but also like, hey, if you're going to go out, go out on that. I guess, I guess. That was one of the, uh, just, yeah, just an, um, an absolute uh, amazing shot. Uh, and then I had uh, Val Sweeting and Mark Kennedy, who we talked to at their exit a little earlier to Lisa Weagle and John Epping in that round of 12. So neither of us had the skip team. No. I don't, I don't think a lot of people would have, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, sweeping, you know? Yeah. I guess it's not that important. Apparently not. So uh, so mm-hmm. there you have it. That's a bit of a recap of the week that was in the curling bubble for the mixed doubles as well. So I guess some more macro level talk on, on mixed doubles. The next step, of course, is that uh, they will be going, Gushu and Anderson, that is, to the mixed doubles world championship which will be played in Aberdeen, Scotland, the week leading into what is the May long weekend here in Canada, the week before, what's it called in the United States? Memorial Day. Yes, the week before Memorial Day for our American friends. So I believe it ends on the 23rd of May, Scott? Uh, yeah, 12 to 23. That sounds right. Yeah. So, uh, that'll be a lot of fun out in Aberdeen, uh, Scotland, of course, Scotland lost a, uh, world championship last year to the pandemic. I guess the men's worlds were going to be in Edinburgh, I believe. 
uh, but they were going to be in Scotland. Uh, so Scotland gets a world championship uh, this year and they'll get another world championship in the future to make up for last year. So that should be a lot of fun to watch that. And again, Olympic qualifications uh, on the line out there in Aberdeen next month. But first, you got some more bubble action to get to. Of course, the men's world championship. And as a lot of people pointed out last night on Twitter, can Brendan Botcher? Uh, uh, which I kind of enjoyed. Uh, that's, that's why punctuation matters, people, uh, yep. when you're making graphics. So uh, Brendan Botcher, of course, representing Canada. Uh, first game against Bruce Mowat in Scotland. That should be a good uh, one to kick things off. We will be back with you next week to do a preview of all the teams and, and what we expect to happen for the Men's World Championship. The schedule is available for the games. We're going to do some broom stacking uh, during the event. Uh, Canada plays a couple 4 p.m. Eastern time games, so maybe after those. uh, But we'll tweet those out and announce those, and then we'll talk about it on the show next week. So do join us for that, and subscribe to the channel so that you get it. If you have not yet, wherever it is you get your podcast, give us the likes, the ratings, all that good stuff. Helps other people find us and beat the algorithm. You can also find us on social media at Game of Stones Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Scott's there at Scott Likes TV. And I am at the Sean Graham. And do head over to GameofStonesPod.com for a Olympic qualification rundown that we did a, a little while back for the Canadian curling trials. You can also find all of our past episodes there and the merch that is available. Mine is en route to Ottawa, the hoodie and the toque that I bought. So I'm very excited to get out. Uh, of course, the new merch proceeds going to the Sandra Schmerler Foundation and the proceeds from the t-shirts will continue to go to Food Banks Canada. So check that out. And we're matching all that as well. So uh, you can check out the merch over there, gameofstonespod.com. And if you want to let us know what you want to hear on the show, do feel free to get in touch, Podcast at gmail.com. So Scott... This John. was a fun way to kick off the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Good time to kick off the weekend. Like you say, we'll be back with that uh, men's preview next week. And until then, I'm going to sit back and relax, maybe drink a beer and uh, catch up on uh, all the shows I missed while I've been yeah. watching curling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's been a, a hectic week. What's first on your list? I heard Superstore had its finale. Yeah, had a one-hour so. finale last night. Uh, so, yeah. so I think I'll watch that. I think it's a sneaky, underrated show. Great show. Great show. It got on Canadian Netflix in the last month and was every time I go into Netflix, it was like, this is trending. Like So people mm-hmm. are discovering it, uh, at least in Canada, on Netflix. And uh, yeah, I, I got turned on to it by uh, Aaron Boys and Megan Riley Boys a couple of years ago. And uh, very much have enjoyed it. So I might do a full rewatch of it too after I watch the finale. Ah, the man, the myth, the legend himself. Yeah. So uh, so there you go. Well, enjoy that, Scott. Enjoy your weekend, everybody out there. Uh, keep staying safe, doing the distancing, wearing your mask, all that fun stuff. And we'll talk to you again next week for a little more curling bubble action. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final...